a seat? So, here's what's going to happen today. It'll be a little unique. The whole service is going to be the message. Okay, so just think of it that way. The whole service is going to be the message. No, I'm not going to preach at you for an hour straight, and we're not going to do anything else. Uh, But the whole service is the message. We've been in a series we call uh, Prayer Life, where we have been seeking to grow our intimacy with God. And uh, we do, we grow intimacy with God by listening to God and by speaking to God in dialogue. We call, Christians call that prayer. And it's important to grow as prayers, as individuals. It's also important to grow as prayers, as a congregation, as the family of God. And so this morning, we're going to focus on prayer and worship. Now, what is worship? I like to describe worship this way. To worship is to ascribe ultimate value or worth. Right? To worship is to ascribe ultimate value or worth. And if you think about it, there are all kinds of things throughout the history of humanity that humans have worshipped. We have worshipped money. We have worshipped pleasure. We have worshipped the politics of our nation. We have worshipped our families. We have worshipped our kids. Some people worship soccer. Some people worship bikes. There's all kinds of different ways we can worship. Biblically speaking, though, anything we worship that is not God is an idol. And I like what Pastor Tim Keller says. He says, anything we worship that is not God, we will eventually crush. We will destroy it in our lives because we're giving it power that it doesn't have and we're forcing things upon it that it can't provide. And while it makes no sense to have a conversation with an idol that really has no power to do what God alone can do, it actually makes perfect sense to be in dialogue, to speak and to listen with the living God who is eternally present in your life, who wants to speak to you, and to whom you can also speak. So prayer and worship actually go hand in hand. And what I'd like to do specifically today is look at the way we here at Faith Covenant Church worship through song. Now, there are all kinds of different ways to worship, but one of the ways the church Throughout the history of the church, 2,000 plus years, if you go back to the nation of Israel, the worship of God's people has always involved music. In fact, Psalm 66 calls us. Let's read this together. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. They sing praises to your name. Now, why in the world would we sing? Well, singing is kind of an extraordinary thing. When you sing to someone, you're using your mind, your heart, you're using your whole being. You can't sing with only your mind. You can't sing with only your heart. Your your physical being actually has to participate in it. And singing to someone is extra special. It's extraordinary. I'm guessing most of you this week didn't show up at the office and and say to your your coworkers, hey, I got a little song for you. (laughs) Because I'm just, I really like you. One, One morning, years ago, when Jill and I were dating, uh, I showed up at, at her house, and uh, I texted her, and I said, uh, open the blinds and look down at the deck, and there I was with a guitar, and I sang to her. Oh, yeah. 
Now, now I, I, I mention that only to say, you know, when we come to church on a Sunday morning, we typically are, are thinking, well, an ordinary thing to do will be to sing. But if we think about it, singing to God is actually an extraordinary thing. We don't really do that in, in most other parts of our lives. And the problem, though, we sometimes have in the church is when it comes to singing in worship... Um, we, we get a little stuck. And I'd like to illustrate how we get stuck by asking first, if, if, would any of our kids like to come up and, and join me just for a second to help me out? All right? I need, I, I need some kids. Come on up, kids. Let's, let's get maybe... Uh, you don't all have to come up. Who wants to come up? Just come on up. Yeah, come on up. You want to come up? Come on up. Yeah, come on up. You guys stand right here. You have a tie on. You have a tie on, so you stay right there. Yeah, you stay right there. Good, 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 good. Come on, Ivan. Yeah, you're great. Now, I need some adults. Let's, let's do, um, or some teenagers. Uh, okay, you two teens, come on up. You guys stand, stand right behind these youngsters, right there. And let's get, uh, I need a, 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 an adult dude. Okay, so a dude. Uh, Kevin, all right, come on up, Kevin. And let's get an adult woman. Someone, someone, someone. Come on up. All right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what, what's your name? John. John? All right. John, uh, you stand right there. Okay. John, uh, how old are you? Eight. You're eight years old. So, when's your birthday? August 13th. August 13th. Okay. So, let's pretend today is August 13th of 2019, and John, it, yeah? yeah? Yeah. John's going to turn nine, all right? So, it's John's birthday, all right? And because, yeah, I know, it's exciting. So all of us, everyone up here, we're here to celebrate John's birthday. So uh, let's, Anna, would, would you start us out? Let's sing happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. You may all be seated. Happy birthday, John. Now, I hope you saw something. I hope, I hope you saw me. <laughs> and uh, I hope you saw uh, where I was in, in uh, John's celebration. We were celebrating John's birthday. Everyone else was singing to John. They were happy about John. Uh, they were singing with smiles on their faces. Uh, but here I was, uh, arms crossed, yawning. And uh, here's my problem. Uh, I don't like that song. I don't like that song. I think it repeats too many times. <laughs> and I think the melody's dumb. And because of that, I don't want to sing. Anyone see uh, what I'm trying to illustrate? <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, the celebration is not about John. It's all about me and my musical tastes. Hmm, maybe that's a little problematic. So what we're going to do today, what we're going to do today, what we're going, <laughs> some, somehow I traveled to another land, uh, is we're going to take one worship song, one worship song for the bulk of the service, and we're going to take it apart, we're going to look at its meaning, and then we're going to put it back together again. And, under, and hopefully grow together as a prayerful, worshiping community. So, because it's new, why don't we bring Ryan back up, 
And I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able. I'm going to ask you to sing. We're going to sing the chorus two times. Okay, so why did I choose this song? Well, let me tell you a little story. About a month ago, I was at the Northwest Conference uh, Covenant Church's Ministerium Retreat. This is an annual retreat that the ministers, the ministerium in our denomination has. Uh, We were up in Duluth at a uh, hotel there, and for three days, we had a retreat. And the first night of our corporate worship, the time when we were singing, uh, we sang that song. And my first response to that was, I don't like that song. In fact, Jill remembers me getting in the uh, elevator that night and complaining about that song. Now, uh, I'm not proud of this. I clearly had a bad attitude. And uh, every night, every time we gathered to worship together, we would sing this song. And the Holy Spirit, I felt, was shining a light on my heart, essentially reminding me, hey, Kendall, guess what? This isn't about you. (laughs) This is not your celebration. And every time we sang the song, because... We sang it every time we gathered. Every time we sang the song, the, the, the song actually worked its way into me. And I went on a journey over those many times and where I began to actually worship through that song. And I thought, you know what? I should share this with my congregation because I think we need to go on a journey as a family when it comes to corporate worship. So... Let's, uh, let's start with what I didn't like first about this song. What, didn't, what I didn't like first of all was it seemed incredibly dramatic. You know, uh, take the first phrase from the chorus. Our God is the lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. That's a bit over the top, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Uh, I'd like to fight my own bat- battles. Thank you very much. And um, if, there, if our God is a lion, I would like him to be a very tame lion. I would prefer he not roar and get in the way of my stuff. Yeah? And it seemed a little bit like uh, Christian bookstore Narnia imagery. But actually, that imagery comes from what is called the Bible. <laughs> and the reason this song is incredibly dramatic is it's taking from a very dramatic scene in Revelation 5. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Revelation 5 or pull it up on your phone, or you can just follow along. You'll see some of it on the wall, some of it, uh, the screen, some of it I will read. So John is the writer of this vision he receives uh, in the last book of the Bible, the revelation, the revealing. And, um, And in verse 1, he he paints this picture. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, that's God, uh, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? So there's a tension here in this scene, we have the throne room of God. We have the throne. We have God. There, he's holding a scroll, and an angel is proclaiming, who is worthy to open this scroll? Now, how might we understand this scroll here? Well, imagine that you receive a package on your doorstep, and that package says, uh, to be opened by addressee only. 
Well, if you're the addressee, you know you have the authority to open the package, right? But what if it says on the label, to be opened by the one who deserves to open the package? Well, suddenly there's a question, right? Who deserves to open this package? How do you know if you're the one who deserves it? And this is the scene in God's throne room. The, the book of Revelation is, is fascinating because it's really a peeling back of the curtain. So we get a glimpse in what is called apocalyptic language into how God has fought the, the battle, how God is fighting the battle, and how God will fight the battle of restoring his beloved creation. And in God's hand is a scroll. Kind of like a, an architect with a, a rolled up a scroll for a building. Or you might think of a general holding a battle plan. Who is worthy to open up the plan for the restoration? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I'm worthy. Because I know deep down I'm part of the problem. <laughs> I try to be a good guy, but the reality is I'm a sinful human being and I have participated in the brokenness. And I'm guessing... You have as well. In fact, guess what? You have as well. <laughs> We're all part of the problem. Verse 3 says, But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. John weeps from what he sees. There is no one worthy to open up the plan for the restoration. But then look what happens. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Okay, ha right, wait. Uh, someone does have the authority. Someone's worthy. Who's worthy? The lion of Judah. The who, the what? <laughs> you know, as I look at this song, I recognize not everyone has uh, any understanding what that actually means? The Lion of Judah. What, what is that all about? So let's just take a, a trip. Uh, you know, the Bible is, is, a, is, about a story, the, is about God. It tells a narrative, and it draws us into that narrative. And in that narrative, we discover who we are. In that narrative, there was a man named Jacob, later to be named Israel. Israel had 12 sons. One of them was named Judah. Okay? And... Uh, uh, Jacob pronounced a blessing and a prophecy over his son, Judah. He says, first, you are lion's club, Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. And then he gives a prophecy. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience, the obedience of the nations shall be his. Now, we should pause as we read that prophecy, written centuries before the birth of Jesus. A promise is given. Through the line of Judah, one would come who would rule and who would reign. And the, the tribe of Judah became known as the kingly tribe. The tribe from whom the king would come and all authority would be given to this king. And, and I love the imagery. The lion is perfect. 
For a lion is the king of beasts. A lion has a certain majesty. Um, a lion is fierce. A lion can kill me. <laughs> a lion is, is triumphant. Jesus is a descendant of King David. Maybe you know that. He's also a descendant of Judah. He is a descendant of the tribe of Judah. He's the lion of Judah. He's Judah. He's God's chosen figure uh, to um, rule over and do battle against God's enemies. And his kingdom will have no end. So, that's the first image we have in this song. If you don't know what the Lion of Judah is, the Lion of Judah is Jesus. And he is the prophesied one, the one everyone was waiting for to come and rule and reign. So we have that image. Second image we have is, um, is a lamb. Uh, you'll see it on the screen. Our God is the lamb, the lamb that was slain for the sin of the world. His blood breaks the chains. Well, time out. So which is it? Is he a lion or is he a lamb? Well, again, uh, the book of Revelation does fascinating things with, with imagery. It takes words that try, and tries to explain something that's bigger than we have words to explain. And I think the writer in Revelation, uh, he does something fascinating. Um, what John hears is the lion of Judah is, has triumphed. That's what he hears. But what does he see? He sees a lamb. Now, he sees uh, verse 6. He says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. Now, there's a lot there in that, little, in that one verse. But uh, let's focus on this lamb who has been slain, who is on the center of God's throne. In my mind, if I were to write the Bible, <laughs> I'd put the lamb on the throne, right? That'd make perfect sense. That's logical. Who does God put on the throne? The lamb. The vulnerable lamb. The spotless lamb is the one who has triumphed. There's a lot there. Um, if you go all the way to, you go back some, some books in the Bible to uh, what is called the Gospel of John. Uh, John tells of the life and ministry of Jesus. Very first chapter of John, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, sees Jesus coming at him, coming to him, not at him, like, coming to him. And what does John the Baptist say? He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This imagery of a lamb taking away sin, of shedding its blood, taking away sin, was woven all throughout the DNA of the people of God. In fact, if uh, the, the, the Torah, uh, the law of God, prescribed that in the temple in Jerusalem, every morning and every evening, a lamb would be slain for the sins of the people. And if you go uh, back to the... Um, uh, the annual celebration that God's people called Passover, what were they celebrating? They were, they were remembering. They were going all the way back, uh, all the way back to when the Hebrew children were slaves in Israel. And God was going to release them from that slavery. He was going to save them. He was going to rescue the captives. And how does he do it? In the last, he, in the last plague, he promises the angel of death is going to come over Egypt and the firstborn in every house, and also in, uh, the firstborn of the animals, 
will die unless a family sacrifices a lamb and takes the blood of that lamb and puts it over the doorposts. And when that happened, then that blood would signify the angel of death would pass over and save that family. And so this idea of a lamb that was slain, whose blood breaks the chains, is woven into the thinking, the way the the children of Israel did their religious life. And it's then in the witness. So you imagine you're John. You have the throne room of God. I'm hearing about the Lion of Judah. He's triumphed. I see in the throne uh, the lamb. The lamb is worthy to open the scroll. What happens next? What happens next is all of heaven breaks out in song. Uh, verse, uh, well, the very next verse, um, the text says the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls of full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. I love that. The, 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 uh, the elders and, um, the, the living creatures, they fall down. They're holding a harp. They're holding a musical instrument. They're holding a bowl of incense, which is the prayers of us. All, all of the, the brothers and sisters of Christ throughout the centuries. And they begin to sing. What do they sing? You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from our country. No. <laughs> persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. See, worship here, it's not ordinary. And it's not a duty. They break into song because they're so excited about what has happened. The victory won by the lion is accomplished through the sacrificed lamb. This is why in the song we sing, and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. And the crescendo in heaven grows in Revelation 5. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Paul says in Philippians 2 that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And I used to think of this this way. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And Jesus will go, everyone bow. I don't think that's the way it is at all. I think when we are face to face with perfect love, we have no other visceral response than to fall down and get on our knees and say, you are it. You're the king of kings. You're everything we've waited for. Whether I've gotten it right or whether I've gotten it wrong, I now know the truth. You are the king. We're not done. Just getting started. But with that, let's move forward. We're going to sing uh, verse 1 in the chorus, verse 2 in the chorus. And then I want to explore the verses. So if you're able, please stand. So we've looked at the chorus. What about these verses? Uh, He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. Did the writers of... This song, did they make up, up that imagery? Did they see like a, a really wonderful Hallmark, Hallmark card somewhere with Jesus coming on the clouds? And they thought, oh, we should put that in the song. 
No, 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 no. That's not what happened at all. This is right out of Scripture. Revelation 1-7. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. So that's where uh, the writers probably got it, or they probably got it where John got it, all the way back to the book of Daniel. Daniel seven thirteen. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, case in point, um, item of note, when you read in the Gospels, Jesus referred to himself as the son of man. He's not referring to the fact that he is the son and daughter of Mary and Joseph. What he's doing is he's pointing back to Daniel chapter 7, I believe. And he is pointing to that prophecy that one like a son of man will come on the clouds. And look at the next verse in Daniel 7. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So the people of God were waiting for a Messiah, for a king who would come and deliver them, and he would come on the clouds to rule and reign. And just so you know, this is the theme of Jesus' ministry. If anyone asks you, what is the theme of Jesus' ministry? Part of it is that he would come and die and forgive us for our sins. But that comes under as a subheading of the fact that he has come to rule and reign. He is the king of all kings. All dominion and power and authority have been given to him. He is the Lord of all. And so he's coming on the clouds and the kings... All the kings in the world, all the rulers in the world, all the people who have mojo in your school or office or neighborhood or country, all of them will bow down to the one who is the king of kings. And this is echoed in verse 2, where the worshipers are invited to open up the gates. So open up the gates, make way before the king of kings. Our God who calls the saved is here to set the captives free. Who can stop the Lord Almighty. If you think about um, the, the, the nation of Israel had been an oppressed people for generations. So this idea that God's justice would come and would set them free is carried out into the entire people. All those who, are call, who call Jesus king will be set free. They will be saved from Satan, sin, and death. And so open up the gates. The king is here. And you think, okay, what, what does that even mean? Well, maybe it is important for you to just take a second and check yourself and just say, all right, how am I keeping the gates closed in my own life? Uh, is there anything I need to do or my family needs to do to open up the gates of my heart, of my life, and say, I don't want anything. What's a gate do? It keeps things out. I want to open up and, and through faith... I, I want this king to come in, and I want to submit to his rule and reign. Uh, Psalm 24, this, this idea of opening up the gates is all through the scriptures. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Now, when it comes to kingship, I think it's fascinating to talk it in terms, in the context of a nation that's going to vote on Tuesday. Uh, I do hope all of you will vote on Tuesday. 
But no matter the outcome, I pray that you will remember your primary citizenship is not as an American. Your primary citizenship is you are a resident of the kingdom of God that has no end. And while it'd be wonderful that your particular uh, political party gets where you want them to get, that's great. Okay, we serve a different king. And that king is doing something far greater than we can hope or imagine. So I hope it all goes well for you on Tuesday. I'm going to vote as well. But uh, let's not put our faith there. Let's put our faith in the one who is the king of kings. Let's open up the gates for him first and foremost, for our residence is in the kingdom of God. And it's interesting, uh, our king does not wield his authority the way the rulers of this world yield their authority. Throughout the centuries, throughout the history of humanity, uh, uh, kings and rulers and authorities have always uh, done so through manipulation and lies and power and greed. It's always power over, isn't it? And in the kingdom of God, it's always power under. We have the Lion of Judah, absolutely, but that slain Lamb of God is sitting on the throne. And that kingdom that he rules, if I may, you may, it may, it may be you're sitting here right now thinking, mm, it's just not good enough, you know? It seems so small. You know, we got big stuff happening in our world, big stuff happening in our country. Uh, but Jesus says, you know what, time out. I just want you, the, the kingdom of God, you know what it's like? It's like, it's like a mustard seed. It's very small. You know, one of the smallest of seeds, you plant it in the ground and something is born out of it. Something grows the text actually says, and when he's speaking like that, that a, 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 a tree, a bush is born, and, and uh, uh, birds come and make their nests in it. What that means is the nations will come and find their home in that kingdom that started so small. Jesus also says the kingdom is like yeast in dough. You know, just a little bit of yeast, you knead that into the dough, and suddenly the whole dough rises. And so I'm going to ask that we as a church, not just this week, but forever, we trust it's okay for us to put our faith in that mustard seed that is Christ. It is okay for us to put our trust in the yeast and the dough because the kingdom of God is going to move. I hear Christians all the time say, I'm so worried about the church. I'm so worried about the church. Hey, gang, guess what? Uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So stop worrying about the church. <laughs> okay? Just put your faith in the king. Abide in him. Fruit is born out of him. We've been in the throne room. Now let's go to an upper room. Okay? We're not done yet. But in this journey, I think it's important that we go to the upper room. Because the king, the one about to be slain, he met with his disciples. Disciples, his apprentices, his learners. He met with them. And he was celebrating what? Get this. He was celebrating the Passover. And... Uh, as was his custom, he took some bread and he gave thanks for it, but then he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the meal, he took a cup and he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever we eat the bread and whenever we drink the cup, what we're doing is we're proclaiming the death of the king. We're proclaiming the death of the king who died 
to set captives free, the one who died for his enemies so that we might be uh, with him forever. I'm going to invite the deacons to come forward. We will pass the elements. I'm going to ask you to take both of the elements and hold them. We'll partake of them together. I'm also going to invite um, Ryan and Emily up. And don't, if you can just wait a second, go ahead and come on down, deacons, and then I'll pray. But while we're taking of the elements, I've asked Emily to sing this song that we've been singing. And the reason why I wanted her to sing it is because I wanted you to see visually and hear uh, that this kingdom, it is small, but it is powerful. And uh, it's just going to be a wonderful illustration of the way God fights battles. And so uh, uh, let me pray. Holy God, we are grateful for your presence. We're grateful that your spirit has seen fit to draw us together to remember and to participate in the meal of the church, the king's banquet. Lord, we pray you take these elements and that you would nourish our beings so that we might become more conformed to the likeness of Christ as a church and as individuals. Thank you, God, for breaking your body and for shedding your blood so that we might be set right with you and set free. In your name we pray, amen.
We're going to continue forward. We're going to take an offering uh, as an act of worship. If you call faith your home, we ask you to give and give generously to the ministry of the gospel here in our church, through our church. That ministry is worldwide. If you're visiting with us, we're just glad you're here. If you want to give, we won't turn you away. <laughs> I thought that was funny too, James. <laughs> uh, I'm going to actually continue to, to move through the message as the, the um, offering is passed this morning. Um, what do we do with the last line of the song? That bridge, we call it. Uh, and I purposely asked Emily to uh, stop and not do the chorus. I wanted her to end with, and who could stop the Lord Almighty? Because uh, when I first sang the song, I was really bugged by that particular line. Uh, I was like, oh my goodness, how many times are we going to repeat this? Uh, come on, who can stop the Lord Almighty? I get it. We can stop singing it now, okay? Um, but again, the Holy Spirit uh, did a check on my heart. And uh, over the times that I sang it that, uh, at the retreat, I was forced to ask myself, okay, Brad, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Is there anything in your world, Brad, that can stop God? What about your fears? All the things that you fear, Brad, can those things get in the way of the Lord Almighty? And what about you? What are the things that keep you up at night? What are the, the struggles of your daily life? Maybe it's chronic pain. Maybe it is an addiction. Maybe you're struggling with mental illness. Maybe you have a relationship that's going south. I recognize that, uh, that th these are real things in our lives, but they don't win. We serve the God of the long game. We serve the God of eternal life. These things do not win. I know their struggle. There's their struggles now. But I ask you to ask yourself the question, will these things really stop the Lord Almighty? And I don't think they will. Uh, if I may, I would like to take what, what Paul does at the very end of Romans 8 and hear these words and ask yourself, who could stop the Lord Almighty? He, he says this, he says, well, then uh, what then shall we say in response to these things? And maybe you can think about all the things that you might be afraid of what can we say about uh, in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies who can stop the Lord Almighty. Who is it then who condemns? No one. No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famineness, famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present or the future nor any powers, neither height or depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of of Christ that is in Christ Jesus, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who can separate us 
from God, no one. Who can stop God's almighty love? No one. For the Lord Almighty has purpose. Who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? It is because of the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, because he has conquered and set the captives free, set us free from Satan, sin, and death. It's because of this that the church for 2,000 plus years has said, we got to sing a song. <laughs> we, we, uh, just talking about it isn't going to be enough. You know, we should write a song. And, and some people have written amazing songs because they were gifted to, do, gifted to do that. Handel's Messiah, oh my goodness. Is Handel in the room? I don't think so. So some people have written to the best of their ability. And that's just as worshipful as Handel's Messiah. The same heart. If, if, my, if, if my little child writes a song of praise to Jesus, it's just as important to God as Handel's Messiah, isn't it? Absolutely. And so the church sings. And how do we sing? Well, Psalm 86, 12 gives us a hint. I will praise you, Lord, my God, with a little bit of my heart. <laughs> no. I will praise you, Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. That's the way the followers of Jesus worship when they are together and when they're alone with all of our hearts. So faith, faith, hear me. Come on now. I'm calling us to the next level. All right? Because here's what's going to happen. In a few weeks, we're going to go upstairs. We're going to open, have a grand opening, reopening of our worship space up there. And there might very well be some visitors who might not know Jesus they might even be standing right next to you. What do you want them to learn about your God from the way you worship? Because your worship of God, our worship of God on a Sunday morning testifies to where our hearts are with him. Can't we not, because of the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God who has set us free, can we not worship and sing with all of our hearts to the extent that the people standing next to us, the people are visiting are like, wow, these people really love their God. Wow, their God must be amazing. Maybe I want to investigate this God even more because these people, it seems like they're really excited about what God has done. Maybe I've been mistaken about how great God is. Maybe he's more powerful and more loving and more graceful than I've ever imagined. And maybe they might learn a little bit about that from the way we worship. Now, I don't know what your culture was growing up. I'm just about done. I don't know what your culture was growing up in worship. And we all come from different cultures, okay? Uh, we are blessed to live in a part of the world, a part of our United States that is multi-ethnic, uh, that is, is filled with people from all different types of cultures. And they all came from different backgrounds of how they express themselves during worship. I want you to know this, when we worship together, this is a safe place for you to worship God that, in a way that you see is appropriate for worshiping with all your heart, whatever that looks like for you. Okay? So if your hands are always right here, 
That's, I get that. That's fine. That's the way my parents grew up. I will say the distance from here to here is really not that it's not that far to go from here to here. And, and if you're here and you're like, what is the deal with these people who kind of raise their hands every once in a while? It's simply a physical demonstration of surrender. Okay? You're like, like a little kid. My, my kids, when I would come home, you know, they put their hands up. I love you, Dad. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Pick me up. Hold me. Okay? That, that's all it is. I mean, it's a sign of, of respect. You, you are the king. You're, you're, no one else has authority in my life but you. So if you want to do that, that's fine. We're getting to dancing in the aisles. It might take some time. Uh, but I want you to know this is a safe place for you to worship the way that you want to worship according to what is appropriate to you worshiping with all your heart. So I'm going to ask the band to come on up. And this is just the first step. But we're going to sing this song again together. We're going to worship with all of our hearts. But And here's, here's the way to... I talk about this a lot. Um, one of the ways to do that is to remember, I don't do it as duty. I do it as a response. So imagine yourself in the throne room. Imagine the announcement of the Lion of Judah. Imagine that slain lamb on the throne. Imagine the way God has worked in your life and set you free from different things. Allow those things to be stirred in your heart and then sing out of that. Sing and worship as a response. And let's do it very loudly. Will you please stand and let us worship the lion and the lamb. Continues out there. I ask you to leave here. And let's all leave here. Uh, worshiping God with our whole heart. So that when we encounter other people. They recognize we love them. And our God loves them. And uh, if you have a prayer need, don't leave here. We would love to pray for you. There'll be people over here who'd love to pray for you. As you leave, there's going to be a retiring offering, which essentially means we're going to be giving to the missions ministry of our church, both, both locally and globally, helping out with benevolence needs for people within our congregation. Please give to that generously. We do have our Operation Christmas Child stuff happening in uh, the other room there. We are the disciples of Jesus. We move according to his purposes. Let us close with the doxology, which is the way we've closed the past many weeks. I'm, uh, I'm going to ask you to turn to the other side of the room. So this side, face that way. This side, face this way. And we've been doing this for this reason. Uh, just a reminder that we're part of the, the larger church, and we're also part of the family of God. Uh, some people get stressed out, they've told me, because they feel like they have to stare into the eyes of the person right across from them. You don't have to do that. Your eyes can roam, and if they need to look up at the screens, that's okay as well. Uh, let us close with the doxology.